Hey there, Action Alerts Plus members and AAP podcast listeners. This is Lead Portfolio Manager of Add the Action Alerts Plus Portfolio with the Street.com's Chris Versace talking at you. Um, we've got another podcast episode, and as you know, from time to time, we do like to share our behind the scenes, in depth conversations with companies. We find that um, they can be very insightful more often than not, um, helping fill in some of our thoughts that might not just reflect the direct conversation, but some of the other things that we're thinking about. And I'm, I'm pretty happy to say that we had that exact same occurrence in this conversation. And the one I'm referring to is with Brian Roth, CEO of Solar Equipment Company 360 Solar. Now, we've had a lot of AAP members asking us about solar, and I was very happy to have the time to chat with Brian about what he is seeing unfold, not only in the solar space, but in tangential markets to it. And when you listen to the conversation, Brian's going to talk about some of the opportunities that his company has because of the very differentiated way they are going to market in designing their solar solutions. Um, I don't want to spoil it for you, but you know if you but if you're thinking along the ways as I and I mentioned this on during our conversation that the farming industry is grappling with limited land and is turning to vertical farming, well, you'll begin to get the idea. But there were a lot of other things in the conversation that really caught my ear, um, including what Brian has to say about supply chains. And while there has been improvement, you know, he's, his, he and his company have yet to see it return back to pre-pandemic levels. So that's just one nugget that you're going to want to listen to. Uh, and again, please sit back, relax, enjoy my conversation with Brian Roth, CEO of Solar Equipment Company, 360 Solar. And as you listen to the conversation, uh, you might want to go to the company's website at 360 Solar. That's T-H-R-E-E-S-I-X-T-Y Solar dot com and download their presentation. It's filled with a lot of useful information, uh, both pertaining to the company, but also to some of the larger trends uh, that Brian and I talk about. Thanks for listening. A bit about solar alternative energy, uh, and I'm very happy today to have Brian Roth, the CEO of 360 Solar here to help us understand the big opportunities, particularly in the solar industry and how his company 360 Solar fits into that. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks very much, Chris. Happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Now, for those who don't know much about solar, what's, as you see it, what is the driving factor behind its adoption? And, and, and I'm asking because, you know, solar isn't exactly new technology. It's been around for quite a bit, but my understanding is like two things have really come into play here. One is um, its ability to compete from a performance perspective has continued to improve while its costs have continued to fall, thereby making it a, a real alternative out there. I think that's exactly right. You've hit it. The The technology that's in solar keeps getting better and better, you know, almost on an exponential basis year after year after year, um, while also declining generally in price and certainly in sort of price per power output. Um, and that has enabled the the solar industry to become competitive with more traditional forms of power during a time when there's, uh, I think, more certainly global engagement um, and 
by global, I mean both in terms of everybody wanting it as well as geographically global um, for renewable energy and sources that are uh, are cleaner to the environment. Now, here in the States, you know, we, we've got a number of different stimulus programs going on, everything from the Biden infrastructure law to the CHIPS Act to the Inflation Reduction Act. Are, are you seeing in the solar industry any any benefits to any of those three? Or there is there another form of stimulus out there that we as folks trying to understand the solar industry should be made aware of? Definitely. So the, the Inflation Reduction Act is a big one for sure in that it's devoting a lot of resources to uh, greener energy, greener sources, renewable sources of power, um, trying to uh, subsidize a, a more rapid shift mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. these sources of power, wind, solar, all basically all things renewable. Um, but then we're also seeing uh, the one that you didn't mention is the, uh, the, the ITC, the tax credit for new installations that uh, that people can take advantage of in the US. Um, and then, you know, the CHIPS Act, not specifically, but there's certainly a draw um, on the industry and a shift towards more US manufacturing uh, because all of these subsidies, all of these tax credits, everything is emphasizing the need for the ability to buy American-made products. Yeah, um, you know, in big- our case, whether that's American-made steel, panels, um, and all of the other products that go into a, a whole installation and a whole system. So, okay, let me let me ask you this, because that, that when we look around, there's there's other industries that are benefiting from, from some some of these stimulus dollars, um, construction, for example. But, exactly. But you know, we're starting. We're we're still in very early innings, right? Uh, I, I think for EV chargings, it was only in the most last few weeks that the applications for the first leg of some seven hundred uh, million dollars uh, for the first round was uh, made available, which means oh, probably a stronger second half of the year. Have you started to see the f- the flow of funds for these types of projects, and is it starting to see an acceleration in your business? Just starting to see that, yes. Um, I think it's it's the same thing with the you know the Inflation Reduction Act, where funds are just now starting to flow into the the projects that were very first uh, in their applications. Um, but the one thing that's been around for a little while is that tax credit. Um, they've continued to tweak it and make adjustments to what qualifies and uh, how that works. Um, but we've seen that be fairly successful for the last little while. Now, there was one other thing that we didn't mention, and I saw this in your company presentation, and it really caught my eye, because I have to be honest, uh, I didn't hear anything about this. <laughs> so uh, it's that the USGSA is committed to 100% renewable energy on federal real estate by 2025. That, that to me, sounds like, I mean, we, we don't hear a lot about that, right? But we were hearing a right. lot about these other programs, but it, it seems as if that there's there's a lot pushing on the industry. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's a very aggressive goal. Whether they get there or not is is to be determined. Right. But it's certainly helpful that from a procurement perspective, you know, this is the type of thing they're looking to add as they update their infrastructure and as they update their uh, their power supply on federal properties. 
And, you know, similar to the charging uh, build out, you know, there, there's really two components to it. There's there's the public aspects, which, of course, are in some of these stimulus bills that we've been talking about. But the other side is um, private funding for other projects that are out there. You know, we're starting to see some of the big oil companies like Shell, for example, really get interested in this marketplace. Are we seeing that same type of um, uplift in private interest, private funding as well? We are, for sure. Um, Everything from those corporate interests, uh, like some of the big oil companies that are looking to green their operations, um, to other, you know, venture sources that are looking to fund, um, you know, you know, looking at our business several years ago, looking to fund businesses like us that are developing new technologies and bringing them to market, uh, likely to be, you know, the next generation of things moving forward. Okay, excellent, excellent. And one one last question before we we, we pivot a little bit. Um, I know this is kind of a, a potentially dated question uh, here as we're in you know the second half of March 2023, but what are you seeing in terms of supply chain difficulties? Are, are, are they still persisting or are they significantly improved? How, how would you describe it? They, they definitely improved. I'm not sure if I'd go so far as to say significantly improved, but okay. it, they appear to be on a path to uh, to easing. I certainly... You know, I haven't had the difficulty uh, in the first quarter of this year to find people willing to supply, you know, panels as I had 12 months ago. Um, things are definitely loosening up, getting a little a little easier, um, but it's not to pre-pandemic levels by any stretch yet. So still, uh, I'm trying to use the right word here, maybe not significant, but meaningful um yeah times yes the one good thing that we've got in terms of our our product design is you know we we generally involve some period of time for steel fabrication and steel supply um and the rest of our materials are all coming inside of that window so we aren't um we aren't finding ourselves with you know massive delays with materials sitting out in the field waiting for uh, everything else to catch up. Okay, excellent. So, Brian, you you said two things. You just said product, and a minute ago you said developing new technologies. So let let's get to that shift. How does 360 fit into this this larger solar industry? What we've developed is a new way of deploying solar technology, where instead of spreading out and using up you know acres of land for a solar farm, we go up instead of out. So we've developed a vertical solar tower that can deploy solar uh, on 80 to 90 percent less land than is typically done on a solar farm. So one of our towers can deploy about 250 kilowatts of rated power. And to avoid shading each other, we would spread our towers out such that four of them would fit inside an acre, which means we can deploy a megawatt of power inside one acre. And you'd still be able to use 80% of that acre for something else, whether it's in for an urban environment that's got high value land, or if it's in a farming environment where you're trying to do other things with that space, you can get the power that you need without using up all of the space that has other purposes. And I have to ask, right? So if you're getting a megawatt of power in one acre, 
what's the equivalent for the solar farm um, ability to generate the same amount of power? They would use anywhere from four to six acres, depending on their racking technology. Um, and of course, none of that four to six acres would be available for anything else. Wow. Okay. So uh, sounds to me, uh, and again, not not as steeped in this as you, uh, you know, technical term here, Brian, no brainer. So, <laughs> so, so what, I mean, how is the uptake going? And if to the extent you're getting pushback, what, what might it be? It's going well. So we've seen a lot of uh, very interested parties. Um, we're, you know, well down the path of, you know, pulling proposals together on people who have reached out and said, you know, that's a perfect solution for our environment. Interestingly, you know, that you mentioned a couple of the oil companies earlier, you know, those are ones who are reaching out because while in some instances it seems like they've got a ton of land, they'd rather not spread out their operation and take over all kinds of space. Um, we're we're certainly not the be-all and end-all answer for everybody. If you've got a lot of land to spread out, ours comes at a cost premium, and so you might as well just spread out. But that's not the case in a lot of instances. In a lot of instances, land is too valuable to take it all up. You want to get the power closer to where you're going to use it. Um, and it just makes it makes sense to uh, sort of densify your power output uh, in that space. So you just said a cost premium. Help, help us understand kind of how is the pricing for 360 stack up against more conventional solutions? It comes at a little bit of a premium. It's not a, you know, 50, 7,500% premium, but it's it's definitely in that 20 to 40% premium, depending on how it's getting deployed and where you're doing it. Um, however, one of the other things we've seen in a number of the proposals we're putting together commercially is an ability to do two extra things that traditional solar can't do. The first is add additional revenue generating opportunities. We can put telecom on top of the towers. We can put um, other you know, EV charging stations at the bottom of the towers. Both of those are additional revenue generating opportunities for the owner of the tower. Um, the other thing we can do is offset other costs that you would spend on a project, whether that's mounting security and lighting, uh, or in you know putting battery storage right inside the tower. There's a lot of other costs that would be involved in a, a whole system that we can integrate right into the tower and eliminate uh, other costs. And of course, that then reduce the premium of the whole system as opposed to just comparing you know 100 panels versus 100 panels deployed in two different ways. Right, right. So l- let me let me ask two questions that I, I I'm sure people are thinking about right now. It, before we talk about these additional revenue streams, if you are somewhere between that 20 to 40 percent premium, what what's kind of the payback period, and and is that the right way to think about it? Uh, so that depends on how the power is getting used. In a lot of cases, um, if you're connecting into the grid and just looking at a pure uh, you know power purchase agreement with the local utility, it um, the some of those paybacks can be a little bit long just because those utilities are not trying to give away their uh, their sources of income. They're trying to pay as little as they can. 
Right. But if you're in an environment where the power can be utilized on site, you know, for uh, for an oil and gas company that's going to use it to power their operations, for a mining company that's going to use it to power their operations, for uh, you know, farming applications where they're using it to power greenhouses and other things on site, they see a much better payback because they're actually utilizing the power and offsetting the full balance of the costs that they would otherwise have in operation. Got it. And I mean, it, in that instance that you just described, pairing it with an EV charging station, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. That's right. Are there, are you, and not to spoil anything or, you know, not, not try to box you in, but how far along are you in those types of conversations? We are, uh, you know, I mean, I have to be careful of yeah, yeah. how much we, I say, we of don't, course. We don't, we, don't are, we, we don't want you to say anything you shouldn't. No, there are a number of commercial discussions that I'm very encouraged will lead to uh, products in fabrication uh, very soon. So, again, not to put words in your mouth, just to understand, you think you could see something like that happening in 2023? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 20, That's a, certainly in 2023. Okay, and, and and again, just to gauge uh, the opportunities, is that is that tel- is that telco relay dot opportunity or the EV charging one? Which, if you had to pick one, which one gets you more excited? Um, you know, the ones that get me the most excited are the ones that really pull all of the utilities together. The oh, ones that are most imminently uh, on our desk right now have an incorporation of a tower. Charging stations in the bottom, full energy storage, backup generation, and telecom, so that the the full utility package can service the needs of of customers. And you know, again, not to pin you down, but if you were to look at that opportunity versus just a um, solar tower that you have, is it you know two x the revenue opportunity you know one and a half times the revenue opportunity is there any way you can kind of help us understand the the impact the the challenge in that is um especially with regards to the telecom revenue the way that they're uh they're built out most of those opportunities for revenue generation depend on how many people are in the area and how much revenue the tele- the telcos can make from putting their equipment on top. Got it. Got it. So, so in in a more dense urban environment, that revenue potential from the telecom can exceed the revenue potential from power. Interesting. Um, but in a more remote environment, it it operates differently. So, for example, some of those uh, oil and gas guys that have remote wells all over the place, they want telecommunications equipment not for necessarily revenue generation with people in the in the area they want it so that they can actually communicate with their wells and not have <laughs> right. to go out to these remote sites all the time oh my god i wasn't even thinking about that but that's fascinating that that's okay 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 what um i'm trying to think there's another question that i had for you um hang on one sec let me just scan my notes here real quick brian i apologize um so you you said a couple times that you've got a number of proposals. Are you pre-revenue or are you booking revenue? And if so, what what if you've shared them, what are some of the public numbers out there for revenue expectations? Again, if you've shared them. Yeah. So we are pre-revenue right now. 
Um, I don't believe that we have shared extensively uh, the expectations yet, uh, so I, I can't get into that too deeply. That's fine. That's fine. Um, where we're at right now is we spent uh, 16, 17 months. Um, we put our first demonstration tower up. And in order to be absolutely certain that all of what we had done in design and development, uh, we wanted to make sure that that tower got through all of the seasonal effects. Mm -hmm. And we got mm -hmm. to see it, you know, how it performed in the winter. We got to see what it did during forest fire season because it was up in Kelowna and saw some record temperatures. Um, we got to see what it did with uh, over 100 mile an hour winds. And, you know, we had a, an epic storm up there that got uh, into hurricane one or category one hurricane uh, force winds. And we wanted to make sure that the tower withstood all of that and didn't suffer any damage. Um, we wanted to look at things like soiling of the panels and how that impacted the power output and performance. We were happy to see that it did as we expected, that with the panels mounted vertically instead of horizontally, dirt and dust and contaminants just didn't stick to them. And so we didn't see any diminishment um, of, of power output or performance over that whole 16 month period. And um, you know, with that now in our rear view mirror, we feel like we're really ready to go with confidence to the market and say, you know, we we actually have this right. Now, uh, now let's do it commercially. So you you you're moving past. And I hate to use this term, but the beta stage essentially, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. And and at, for people who were interested in in this, what you know, there are different ways to measure different businesses. You know, some companies report backlogs, some you know contract dollars, something like that. Um, and any thoughts to either how you have or plan on communicating this, just so people can have a better understanding of how you guys are progressing? Yeah, once we get uh, these first several projects landed, we will definitely be reporting on uh, sort of progress through the pipeline to make sure that we give the market visibility on what we expect, um, not only you know, for the market side, but also so that we can make sure all of our fabricators are lined up and up to speed and ready to go. Um, we don't want anybody to be surprised. Excellent. And in terms of building out one of these projects, roughly how long does it take? Uh, the It depends on how big the project is. So, uh, you know, one thing I can say is that we're currently discussing projects that are anywhere from, you know, a single tower with some extra equipment mounted to it, up to you know tens of megawatts, which would be, well, as I say, we're four towers per megawatt. So you start doing 40, 50 towers, um, and the fabrication on that alone takes a little bit longer. Our fabricators know that under current conditions, they can put out 20 towers a month. Okay. They said, as soon as we're doing more than that, they're more than happy to ramp that up further. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you look at that, um, steel probably one of the biggest concerns steel or costs that you guys absolutely, have. Absolutely, yeah. Steel is definitely one of the biggest cost drivers in our whole package. Okay, excellent, excellent. And then, um, 
one other question because it seems to me that the way you're approaching this is very different. Again, vertical, very much the way we're seeing uh, issues in the farming sector where there's only so much arable land. We need to maximize that. So they're they're actually migrating more and more towards vertical farming. Uh, again, mm-hmm. a very very similar very similar story here. How do you protect your designs, your IP? I imagine you yep. have filed for patents. Is that correct? Yeah. So where do you stand? We have. So we filed uh, originally on the design with for a PCT patent worldwide. Um, when we received positive review on that, we then submitted in the US, Canada, Europe, and parts of Africa where we plan to operate. So um, the those all went in close to a year ago now. The African uh, one was the first patent office national patent office to actually come back and respond and they responded favorably as well they effectively said you know they want us to clean up some wording in the claims but they said that uh, the aspects of the tower that we are we have patented are uh, are novel and uh, and patentable okay so it's interesting because the minute you said worldwide my brain went immediately okay where else and then you kind of laid it out of those four markets and i have to be honest i I don't it's not often that i hear folks kind of uh almost leading with africa kind of the way you did but (laughs) but um i'm and i'm sure there's a lot of land there but of those four geographies which one excites you the most as as um ceo of 360 solar and the opportunities there and which one is the most imminent yeah, so our most immediate opportunities are Canada and the U.S. Almost all of our commercial efforts, our sales efforts, uh, certainly, you know, all the trade shows we've been at and the people we've talked to and met with has been focused on North America. We are, you know, just beginning to make inroads in Europe. Um, and we the reason we picked a couple of countries in Africa to file the patents in was because we just happened to know uh, and have a business relationship with a couple of people working on projects down there. Um, the interesting reason I led with Africa on the patent application is because their office just works faster than the others. <laughs> and so we we got information on, you know, they all do the same patent search. They're all looking at the same databases, but um, there's not as big a backlog there. And so right, they right. got to it faster and were able to get the search done. That's funny. Um, and I guess the last question that folks will probably want to know is, you know, Brian, w- just give us a thumbnail sketch on your background and how did you get pulled into or or did you vote with your feet into solar? Yeah, so I've been in sort of the energy industry broadly for 16 or 17 years now. Um, I'm originally an engineer, uh, but did that mostly in the automotive sector. And then later went back and got a business degree and went into energy in buildings. Um, so I looked at HVAC systems and energy recovery and building enclosures and spent uh, over a decade in that space before moving into the solar space. Must be five or six years ago now, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. originally in solar roofing. But when this opportunity uh, two or three years ago now came across my desk and I said, that's just 
it was I was so fascinated by the founder, Peter Sherba, had just done something so different than what everybody else was doing. And uh, I was excited for the opportunity to work with him on trying to make it happen. That's that's fantastic. That's you know, I love um, entrepreneurial stories. I love disruptive stories. And it sounds like that's a little bit of both. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Brian, you've been very generous with your time. Before we get out of here, is there anything that we didn't touch on, whether it's the solar industry or 360 solar in particular, that the that the listener really needs to know? You know, I think it's just, you know, keep an eye on us and and what we're looking to accomplish. That that combination of multi-utility aspect of the tower, um, offering power in in to people and in places where it couldn't go before is exactly what we're trying to do and uh i can't wait to see it rolling out that's that sounds very exciting and and brian for listeners that want to do a little more homework on 360 solar while you're going through all of this where should they go uh best place to look is our website which is uh, www.360solar.com all spelled out in words um t-h-r-e-e-s-i-x-t-y uh, and sign up for our news releases there. They come out uh, on a pretty regular basis and people can stay in the loop that way. Awesome. All right, Brian. Well, before we get out of here, I'm going to make you promise to come back uh, and share with us uh, the story as it progresses, because I, I find this fascinating on, on several different levels. And I think that um, this full utility package that you mentioned, I think that's going to catch a lot of eyes. I'd be very happy to come back. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining us, Brian. My pleasure.